upon the world is beating. Sons of men in battle long the enemy withstand. Safe am I within the castle of God's word retreating. Nothing then can reach me, tis land. I'm living on the mountain, underneath the cloudless sky. I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh yes, I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah. We're going to sing that last verse, but I want to hear some praise gods on the chorus there. So after we say underneath the cloudless sky, let's hear a little bit of praise God this afternoon. All right, let's sing that last verse. Viewing here the works of God. Viewing here the works of God, I sink in contemplation. Hearing now his blessed voice, I see the way he planned. Dwelling in the Spirit here, I learn a full salvation. Gladly will I tarry in Beulah land. I'm living on the mountains underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh yes, I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah land. All right, I think I heard Pastor Yeomans. And Rose May, that was about it. <laughs> no, just kidding. All right, we're going to sing number 427, uh, continue to think about heaven. Uh, sweet by and by, there's a land that's fairer than day. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful sing that last verse to our bountiful father to our bountiful Father above, we will offer a tribute of praise for the glorious gift of His love and the blessings that hallow our days. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore amen pastor holland you may be seated all right we're in first peter chapter four if you take your bibles turn there first peter chapter four all right today before the service i was asked to keep it short today so 
I'll do the best I can. I was also asked to give so much biblical content today that they can skip next week's service. So I appreciate all the helpful input. That's very helpful to me. I appreciate that. And uh, I'll do the best I can to give you all the Bible content I can in a short period of time and, and get us out on time. But I know we're just joking around about those things, but uh, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do this morning, uh, this afternoon, First Peter chapter 4. Out of place. That's how the first century Christians were probably feeling when they were dispersed from their homeland and scattered throughout Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. They were forced because of persecution to leave all that they knew and relocate their family, relocate into a new area, and they felt likely out of place. Out of place, or at least maybe out of step, is how a Bible-believing, a Bible-practicing Christian will feel in our society. Our society is not a Bible-following society. Maybe 60, 70 years ago, that was a little different. I mean, I didn't grow up in the 1940s and 50s, but I know uh, from conversations that, and even I grew up in the 70s and 80s, I've seen our culture change and shift in my lifetime, and many of you know that as well. You've seen it. And maybe before, to be a Bible-believing Christian, you are still in line with the morality or the... uh, the Christian nation that you grew up in, right? There's still, uh, still a commonness there. But now we're out of step. If we're going to live right in a world gone wrong, we may feel a little out of place or out of step. So we've been highlighting here in First Peter characteristics or qualities that will help us to live right in a world gone wrong. We talked about showing endurance uh, first chapter, showing endurance in a world gone wrong. And we talked about how that trials come for reasons and for seasons, and we have to get through those and become uh, more like Jesus Christ in those times. We talked about staying sober in a world gone wrong. We used that verse that we should gird up the loins of our mind, meaning that we need to have a warlike mentality and a work-like mentality if we're going to proceed in this world that is against the, the, the culture of Jesus Christ. And Understanding our identity, we talked about that, that it it's all stems from who we are. The Bible says, but ye are that ye should. So what we should do flows from who we are. So understanding our identity as a child of Jesus Christ and, and as a son of God and as a representation, an example of Jesus Christ, from that identity flows our behavior. And then last week we talked about this section of the letter, of this letter that lasts about 20% of the, of the book about submission and how being submissive uh, has great benefits and blessings if we live in a submissive spirit in a world gone wrong. So that brings us up to chapter 4, and we'll begin here in verse number 1. Uh, the Bible says here, beginning in verse number 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our lives may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Well, today we're going to look at that uh, these verses are a call 
to separation and maintaining separation in a world gone wrong. How do you maintain separation in a world gone wrong? And there's several aspects to this call to separation we'll look at. Look at verse number one again. We see here a call to arms. The Bible says in verse number one, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh shall cease from sin. Arm yourself with, with the same mind, a call to arms. The word, that, that idea of arming yourself means equipping yourself, preparing yourself, arming yourself. This goes back a little ways, but there's a TV show a while ago called Andy Griffith, all right? Anybody watch Andy Griffith? Okay, so we know what we're talking about a little bit. There is a character on there, Barney Fife, all right? <laughs> Deputy Barney Fife. And Deputy Barney Fife carried a gun, and he had one bullet. And where is that one bullet? In his shirt pocket. All right, so he was, a, he was not armed. He was armed, but not dangerous, all right? And so he, he had a gun, but he had to take, a, when anything serious would go on, he'd be looking for that bullet, right? You remember the, I mean, obviously Barney Fife or Don Knotts was quite a good actor, and he uh, played that part very well. And he looked for that bullet and tried to get that bullet in the gun to arm himself for action. Well, that's the idea here. Equip yourself. Don't be a Barney Fife. Don't, 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 don't carry it in your pocket. Be ready for action. Arm yourself with the same mind, the Bible says, as Jesus Christ. There is a mindset that we need to have. This mindset goes along with suffering and separation. And so here we're kind of talking about Jesus Christ, as always, as our example. Jesus Christ suffered because he was different. I think a pastor talked about this even in the message today, that as Jesus Christ came in to the world, he went against the flow of the religious leaders. And he, because of that uh, desire and because of his nature to go uh, and teach a new teaching, he was against the flow. And there was suffering. That, why was he crucified, humanly speaking? Because he was against the flow. Uh, I, I've watched, I don't know if you've watched this TV series, I'm not recommending it, I, I've enjoyed it, called The Chosen, all right? The Chosen is a, a series about uh, Jesus Christ and the disciples, and, and one phrase, I remember this, when the disciples are early following Jesus, uh, they said something like, that's, that's different, and he said this, get used to different, get used to different. And I like that idea because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, get used to being different. And, and so arm yourself with this mentality. This call to separation is a call to arms, to arm yourself with this idea that if you live separated from the world, there, you'll be against the flow and there may be some suffering that goes along with it. Just own up to it. Just accept the fact that as a as a Bible-believing, Bible-practicing Christian, you're going against the flow. Pastor uh, Levi has called his youth ministry upstream for that purpose, teaching our teenagers that as teenagers in this society, they're going to be swimming upstream. They're going to be going against the flow of society. And so here in this chapter 4, we see a call of separation, which is, first of all, a call to arm yourself with this mindset, I I am different, I will be different, and with that will come some suffering. Jesus Christ had that mindset, we need to have that mindset. So arm yourself with that same mind. Also we see in this passage, number two, it's a call to change. Look at verse number two. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. 
For for the time past of your life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable desires. All right, so we see here that we are no longer in the flesh. It's different. There's a, a call to change. You used to walk in the flesh, and now we don't walk in the flesh. He also says we used to walk in, uh, how's the Bible say it? We walked in the lusts of men. We walked in natural human lusts like everybody else. We were just like everybody else until the Holy Spirit comes into you and things change. You're a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. And because of that, we have, uh, there's a call to change. We're no longer, as it says in verse number three, following the will of the Gentiles. The Gentiles there are, are, the, are the group of people that did not know God, did not have a relationship with God. And so we're not, we're not living our life like people who do not know God. How often, though, sometimes as Christians do we make decisions like we don't even know God? How often do we choose our behavior and our habits so far apart from the teaching of God's Word? And that's the problem. Separation calls us to change and no longer follow the flesh. Don't follow the lusts of men. Don't follow the will of the Gentiles. Follow the will of God. That's what it says here in our passage. Follow the will of God. For some of you, this change after salvation was more dramatic than for others. Probably because of your age. Let me ask this question. How many of you were saved after the age of 20? After the age of 20. Put your hand up. Okay. All right. So several. So obviously, let me ask this question. How many of you were saved before the age of 20? So you should have raised your hand one of those two, unless you're not saved, which is fine. And then we would like to talk to you after the service and try to explain to you what salvation is and uh, lead you down that, that road. And so those decisions, if you got, I got saved when I was 11. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. It wasn't a huge outward change for me when I trusted Christ as my Savior. I mean, inside was completely different. I now had the Holy Spirit living inside me. I had Jesus Christ as my Savior. There was a new peace, a new joy. Those things changed in my life. I remember that, that, uh, that change. But outwardly, there wasn't much change. But for some of you, there was a huge change. I've talked to you, some of you, about your change, and it's easier for you to relate to that, that, that night and day change in your behavior because of salvation. And if you are, don't have that testimony where you got saved young, that's great. If you got saved young and you never got involved in those things, that's a wonderful, wonderful testimony. But some of you understand this call to change more than others because you were in a lifestyle that was against the Bible, against God, and when you got saved, those things began to change. See, our call to separation is a call to arms. Arm yourself with this mindset. It's also a call to change. It's a call to, to be different. All right, look at verse number three again. For from the time past of your life, many suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When ye walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Number three, it's also a call for restraint. A call for restraint. See, the truth of the matter is just because something is fun, or enjoyable to you doesn't mean you should do it. Isn't that the philosophy of this world? I like it. I enjoy it. I'll do it. If, if it makes me happy, you know, everybody's got to find their own happiness. Everybody's got to find their own truth. That's a worldly philosophy. Just because you enjoy something doesn't make it right. Just because it's entertaining to you doesn't mean you should do it. And here we have a list of excessive sins. Look at this list here. 
lasciviousness, a good word that we don't use much in our society, lasciviousness. I, I bet you none of you have used that word this week. It means unbridled lust, excessive lust. Uh, it can be, you know, in a sensual way, it can be other ways, but it means this unbridled lust. I'll tell you what, you turn the TV on for a few hours, you'll see our society is full of unbridled lust. All the shows and the, the reality shows of today are all about unbridled lust. You want it, go for it. You want it, take it. Unbridled, uncontrolled. And the Bible calls for restraint, controlling lust. The next word we have there is lust, a strong desire or craving. So those two words go hand in hand, lasciviousness and lust. Excess of wine. All right, I'm not going to go into a, a full uh, uh, teaching on what the Bible says about alcohol now. There may be a, a time and a place for that. But here the Bible is very clear, excess of wine, that we should restrain ourselves from that. I believe personally, I believe the Bible teaches that we don't, uh, in our church's position, is that we should abstain from alcohol as a Bible-believing, there's a Bible-practicing Christian to avoid those for many, many reasons. Again, I'm not going to go into those, but obviously here, excess of wine next is, these two go together revelings and banquetings just means wild parties out of control this is excessive living all these uh, sins are excessive out of control and that's what the bible is calling for us in separation to practice restraint these wild parties and then it goes on to say idolatries idolatries abominable idolatries someone said this uh, covetousness is the idolatry of our age we don't have uh, idols that we worship. We don't worship the sun god or this god or that god or the temple of Diana. We don't have those things, but we worship the almighty dollar and we worship the next possession and we wor worship getting ahead and getting more and getting more. And covetous has, covetousness has become the, uh, the idol of our time and it is not just outside the walls of the church, folks. We gotta look at these things. Don't become excessive in your hunger and desire. Just because you want it doesn't mean you should have it. Doesn't mean you can't work for nice things and have nice things. But the Bible here is warning us in separation is a call for restraint. Restraining your own desires. Restraining your own uh, call to these things. And so it's a call for restraint. The separate life is a life of restraint. I remember, I think it was Pastor Stone that told me that his father gave him this advice as parenting. He said, son, when you, as you parent your kids, remember this, learn to say no and mean it. Remember Pastor Stone saying that? Learn to say, that's great advice for a parent, learn to say no and mean it. There's a time in your life where you'll need to say no to your children and you'll need to mean it. And you need to learn to, to, to I'll put the line down and you can't, you know, you can't, you can't say no and your wife say yes. You got to learn to be together. That's great parenting advice. Let me give you some practical Christian advice. Learn to say no to yourself and mean it. There are some things in your life that you'll want to have, you'll want, uh, that will be uh, the, your temptation to do wrong, but separation calls upon you for restraint. Learn to say no and mean it. I think Pastor Yeomans, I'm thinking back to last summer, I think, when Pastor Yeomans, we were out in the tent. I think Pastor Yeomans challenged us this one time and, and just challenged us, say no to yourself for one thing this week. I think it was even like, you know, maybe it's coffee. Maybe just for the sake of self, not, nothing wrong with coffee. We serve coffee today, so we're not preaching against coffee, all right? But 
for the sake of self-control, for the sake of self-restraint, for the sake of teaching yourself to say no to yourself, say no to something this week. And I think many of, some of you practiced that and tried that. Not a bad idea. But in your life, there will be things that you enjoy, that you desire, that you want, that makes you feel good, taking the easy road for you, that you need to learn to say no and mean it. See, Christianity, Bible-believing Christianity, is a call for restraint, separation. All right, lastly, separation, this call to separation is a call to resist. Look at verse number four. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them, to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. If you live a separated life, if you truly take a stand, you say, there's some things that I, I'm involved in, I know I shouldn't be involved in, it's not good for me, I am saying no to these things, I'm going to separate myself from the ungodly for these, these habits to a holy walk with God, other people are going to think it's strange. It's gonna, they're going to think it's strange. There are there's, there's some things that I have never done. If, if I tell people uh, in, this, in, in the world that I've never tasted alcohol, they think that's strange. That's, that's a strange thing. That, that's odd. How, how can you have a good time? How can you go to a park? How can you enjoy that? I said, I, I have a great time. I, go, I, I enjoy getting together with people. I enjoy socializing, but I have never tasted alcohol. They think it's strange. So they may think it's strange when you don't drink. Wherever you draw your line of what, and I'm not here to tell you what lines to draw. I'm just telling you, you ought to have lines. Do you have lines? These are the things I will not do. These are the things I I must do. Do you have lines in your life? A call to resist those temptations. They will think it's strange. They may even put some pressure on you to do certain things. Uh, If you decide not to go to the office Christmas party because it's nothing but, and maybe you would classify your office Christmas party as banquetings and revelings. I'm not saying it is, and I'm not on you if you go to your office Christmas party. I'm just saying maybe you decide I'm not going to go there because that's not my scene. As a Christian, I'm going to draw that line. They may think it's strange that you don't go to the office Christmas. Why aren't you going? What's your, why, why won't you be part of that? If you draw your line, they'll think it's strange. They might think it's strange if you don't tell or tolerate off-color jokes at the office. They might think it's strange. Uh, they'll think it's strange if you don't use swear words, you think it's strange. That's what the Bible is saying. And call to resist that temptation. You don't have to be mean or obnoxious. You just have to be different. You just have to be different. It's not our job to win people over to a separated life. It's our job to win people over to a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not trying to, don't try to Christianize your unchristian environment. Do we try to do that? You know, don't do this, don't do that, we shouldn't do this. I, I understand, like, if, if my, when my kids were around and kids were young and people were using vulgar language, I would ask them politely out of protection for my children. That's a little different situation. I'm not trying to Christianize people. I'm tr- I want to introduce them to Christ. And so it's a big, big difference. And so, but for me, I need to draw my line. And I need to resist the temptation to give in and say, this is my line, this is who I am, and I'm going to, and realize as that there'll be some, there'll be some suffering. What, what could happen? Well, the Bible here says what could happen. They will speak evil of you. They'll speak evil of you. They'll, they'll say things, maybe, maybe to your face, <laughs> maybe just behind your back. 
I don't know. Our, my, my brother-in-law, Chuck Stanberry, who many of you know, we used to like joke around the office and stuff when he used to work here, and he'd say, hey, cut it out, guys. I'm right here. Don't talk about me. At least have the decency to talk behind my back. Like, don't, don't say it to my face. I want, if you're going to talk about me, talk behind my back. That's not really a true statement, but people at work, people in your family may talk about you. If you go to your family gathering and you're, no one else in your family, ga- family gathering is a Christian and you take certain stands and you take, you're separated, you're living a separated life, when you leave the room, you might be the topic of conversation. How many have ever experienced that? You don't need to raise your hand, but maybe you know that when I, we leave the room, or maybe it's to your face. <laughs> maybe it's right there openly. Uh, I was talking to some people about, you know, taking a stand for Jesus Christ and how that affected them in their home and how they had to, in their own home, answer questions about their beliefs. So maybe to your face, maybe behind your back. Remember, you know what, you know what it's like to be them, but they don't know what it's like to be you. Like, you know what it's like to be unsaved and not to be saved, but they have no idea. It's so foreign to them. And we, all of us, all of us, if we don't un- understand it, it scares us. If we don't understand it, we criticize it. Just like, you said, this would be some guy in town here that had a, a, a big mohawk. I mean, it was a big, high mohawk. His name was A.J., the reason I know his name was AJ, he used to come to our youth group. And so, and, I, and AJ, Jackie knows who I'm talking about, and one of the nicest guys in the world. And we would see, if you saw him walking down the side of the street, you would probably cross over the other side of the street thinking, I'm getting away from this guy. He looks scary. And he did look scary, but he wasn't scary because I knew him. All right? And so, I, I mean, I'd, go over, I'd, go, I'd cross the street to see AJ and talk to him because I knew him. And so understand that they don't understand you, but you understand them. You know what it's like not to have Christ as your Savior, but they don't know what it's like to have Christ as... They know what, you know what it's like not to have a Bible or a guidebook to go by where you're just trying to figure out life on your own, and they have no idea that you have a Bible that kind of leads you through all decisions. You're really in a place that they don't understand. So accept the fact that they are going to be talking about you, but resist that, resist that. So... It's, our, it's part of our nature to kind of want to blend in, to kind of go with the flow. But over and over and over and over, the Bible calls upon us to be holy, to be separated. It's one of, if you look in any letter of the Bible, in almost any letter, there's a section about holy living. So it's a call to us to be separated. Maintaining biblical separation in a world gone wrong is not always going to be easy. I want you to remember this, though, and remember this in, this, in light of the, who these people were. It's who we are, not where we are, that determines what we do. It's who you are. Whether you're at the office Christmas party, whether you choose to go to the office Christmas party or not go, it doesn't change who you are, right? It doesn't change who you are. It's who you are, not where you are, that determines what you do. If you don't, if you don't drink at home, because you don't think it's right, then don't drink at the office Christmas party because it's still not right. It's, it's not where you are. If you're not involved in off-color jokes or, or speaking that way at home and it's wrong, and it's still wrong when you, at work. No matter where you are, it's who you are, not where you are, that determines what you do. And so this is the idea of separation. And here, this passage, as, as Peter goes through talking to these people who are separated, how do we live right in a world gone wrong maintain 
a separated lifestyle. It's not easy. It's not always easy to define. You're going to draw a different line than I'm going to draw. That's okay. But what are your lines? How are you living a separated life from those who don't know Jesus Christ? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Just before I close in prayer and we sing our last song, I just want to ask you a couple questions. What lines are you drawing in your life? How are you maintaining separation from a world gone wrong? Do you feel the pressure? Do you feel out of step? Do you feel out of place? That's okay. Are you willing to arm yourself with that mentality that this is who I am? This is my life. I, I signed, when you sign up for separation, you sign up for suffering. Jesus Christ did it, and here in verse 1, he's our example. Arm yourself with the same mind as Jesus Christ. In what areas of your life do you struggle with separation? In what areas of your life do you feel a pull? Is it at work? Is it around family? Where are you feeling the pull of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the Gentile, the will of the Gentiles, or the lust of men? What's pulling you? Are you willing to live separated in a world gone wrong? Heavenly Father, I pray you'll help us this week to honor you with a holy lifestyle. I pray that you reveal to us areas where we've slipped and, be, and become more like the world than we are like you. And I pray that you'll give us the strength, and you'll give us uh, the, the stamina. And Lord, I pray you help us to arm ourselves with the mindset of separation and suffering and do it gladly and do it with joy because of your suffering and your love for us. Lord, I pray you help us to take the truths from God's word that we've heard this morning and now this afternoon and use them this week to live for you and to honor you and to glorify you. In your precious name we pray, amen. All right, before I turn it over to singing our last song, uh, if you're a child or a teenager and you took notes, go see Miss Jackie. She has a Frosty coupon. If you didn't take notes, do something real quick right now while we're singing. <laughs> Scribble some words on there. Miss Jackie's pretty generous, and she's pretty kind, and she's pretty nice. Do something. We want you to have a frosty, okay? So do the best you can. All right, let's, let's all stand. We're going to sing our closing song, and we'll be dismissed. All right, let's sing together. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory, oh glorious victory that overcomes the world. Thanks again for being here today. You are dismissed.